Good morning again. Well, it's been quite the week around uh, our church family. Lots of things happening. Ladies trip this past week, got back from Pahuska, went Monday, Tuesday, quick trip back and forth to Oklahoma. Sounds like they had a great, great time together. And uh, we're thankful that they were able to spend that time. Big group of them got to go. And uh, I know that fellowship was great and appreciate Bryson mentioning that. Then this past Wednesday, we had this going on, right? Go prep. And y'all probably saw this on the front of the Canadian record. Uh, what an exciting thing. And God gets the glory for all this. But I love what uh, Lori wrote on page two in this last paragraph, talking about her feelings about Go Weekend. And this just gets me excited about uh, you all and how God's using you and uh, that picture that you see there is probably the biggest, uh, most dramatic before and after picture worry we have had in six years of Go Weekend. But Lori said this, just last paragraph, or last two. She says, this year I'm told that the number of volunteers has grown to almost 200, we hope, right? Who's out there hadn't signed up, right? And the list of projects has grown in direct proportion. Jake was too busy pulling nails, I don't know if that's true, Wednesday night to offer details, but if the past is any example, those volunteers will fan out all over town next weekend to perform repairs, cleanups, and beautification, and to restore a sense of faith and fellowship and community that, that may have faced its fiercest test over the last few difficult months of pandemic and politics, at least it has begun to restore mine. I struggle daily with the, dis, the, the, the divisive and bitterness I encounter in the most unlikely places, even my beloved hometown, and by the heartbreaking isolation that has tested us all. But the pounding of hammers, blended with the laughter of this union of laborers, has offered some welcome solace and will eventually give Luz Flores, who owns that trailer house, a safe shelter that is finally her own, blessed by the labors of so many. And that, in the end, is what really matters. Woo, that was well put, wasn't it? Well, that's a blessing, and we can't wait till Saturday, till we get to see all that come to fruition. And Sunday, you'll get to see that in our big slideshow, the before and after pictures. And then finally, this past uh, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, our men went to men's retreat. And our memorabilia we brought back, we used to sign an apron. This year, we signed a big boy bat. <laughs> our theme for the weekend was rally, and we talked about getting back on, that God loves a rally. And we celebrated that with a little bit of pine cone derby and hitting homers, or what we started to call coners. And it was a great weekend. We were blessed by so much. God is good, right, church family? And he has so much in store for us, and uh, I'm thankful for this day. Today we get to turn to our final summer series that we've been going through, Genesis 1 through 11. The notes didn't make it to the app today, so grab a bulletin if you're a note taker, and grab a Bible, and go to the chapter that sums up the prologue, Genesis chapter 11. I want to ask you this morning, what's one of those movies or books that you've read or you've gotten into that left you disappointed? It wasn't your favorite movie or book, but at the end you were like, wah, wah, 
or you were like, oh my goodness, what a letdown. A few of us were talking the other day about movies, and we got into that discussion about what movies made you the most sad or were the worst ending you could have ever imagined. Some of us in the group felt like some sad movies were kind of fun to watch. There were some strange people in our group. <laughs> but most people in the group, we all decided as a consensus that nobody really likes to spend a lot of time with heartbreaking movies. And even if you're a person that doesn't mind the thriller or the twist or, the, or even the hero of the story losing from time to time, you're probably not a person, I don't think there's one out there that can subsist on reading and watching of movies that all end in bad news. It's not like you're like, my favorite movie is Schindler's List. I watch it every night. Nobody's that way. We don't like unhappy endings. We like our stories wrapped with a bow, with a triumph, with a victory, with the hero riding off on a horse into the sunset. And in a strange way, Genesis 1 through 11 is like a bad ending. The prologue to Genesis is supposed to set us up for how to interpret the rest of the Bible. It's asking this question, who will be the partner with God? Genesis 1 through 11 starts with God having two things, a mission to bless the world and partners to join him in his mission. But all through Genesis 1 through 11, there's failure after failure. There's hope and then failure again. And by the end of it, you're left with this question. Is this all? Is that all that's there? It begins with such hope, but then Adam and Eve mess it up. And then we get a hope again with Noah as he seems to be promising. But then it's not too long before there's a vineyard and a sin and a son and a more sin and then by the time we get to chapter 11, we have a story, and the prologue ends with humanity organizing around evil and around empire, not shalom, not God's peace. Some would probably say this is a bad way to start an epic book, but I want you to know this morning that the author of Genesis is doing this on purpose. The prologue of the Bible. Genesis 1 through 11 is written to make you ask, is that it? I want more. There's got to be a better ending. Who is going to get this right? Is there going to be a partner who will join God and restore all things? We're told in Genesis 3.15 that one of the offspring of Eve will crush the head of the tempter. So you're supposed to be asking, is this as good as it gets? And that's where we're introduced to a new man in the story. Not the perfect man, not who we know as Jesus, who is the ultimate and, and, the, and the culmination of the story, but we are, as the curtain is drawn away from the prologue and opened up again to chapter 12, we are introduced to a man, not of renown, not a man of might, but a man who God is looking for. Not a hero, but what we're going to call this morning an anti-hero. A man with faults, but a man who ultimately is willing to trust God, to trust the story. 
And you guys, probably most of us know who this is. His name is Avram, or Abram, or as we know him, the father of nations, Abraham. So I want to get into this guy, but our focus today is going to be about Abraham, but really our focus is going to be on God. Because we're going to ask the question to close our summer series in Genesis out, what kind of person is God looking for? And how can I be transformed to be more like that kind of person? I was, of course, introduced to Abram at a young age with a song that had lyrics in it like this, Abra, Abra, ham, ham, ham. I loved this song as a kid. It was a VBS song, and I loved it because in church, you couldn't be very loud as a kid, but at VBS, when we sang Once There Was Three Wondering Jews, the goal was to be loud. My friend David next to me would almost pass out yelling, I, I, Zach, 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 right? That's how I was introduced to Abraham. So today, we're actually going to practice this. We're going to lead, I'm going to lead you in a little song out of the song, Three Wandering Jews. That's the title of the song. We're not going to sing it all, but we're going to just do the Abraham part. So middle section, you're Abra, Abra. Outside, ham, ham, ham. Okay? All right. Our line starts like this. Y'all know it? It starts with one third, one third, wandering Jews, but we're not going to sing that part. We're going to start. The first one's name was Abraham. The first one's name was Abraham. Abra, Abra. All right. First one's name was Abraham. Middle section, you win. All right. <laughs> That's right. You have my youngest who is loud. Okay. Uh, but man, what a great song, and thank you for participating in this. But I want to set it up this way. The title of the song, and this is important, is called Three Wandering Jews. And it's a great song, but it is absolutely false. Abraham is not a Jew. He wasn't a wandering Jew. He was a wandering pagan. Abraham, and this sets us up for the story and is critical is not a Jew because the Jewish nation and Israel did not exist. Genesis 12 opens up with no one that we know of following Yahweh, the God of Israel. But yet God is going to call this man out of Ur of the Chaldeans. And Ur of the Chaldeans, if we had a Bible map up here, if you think geology, is right in the plain of Shinar. It is in Babel. It is in what will become Babylon. So God calls a man out of the area he just had an issue with. Abraham is not who we think he is. If he knows of the God of Yahweh, he's not following the God of Yahweh. He is just following a God among the panoply of gods that he follows. Marduk and Baal and other ancient Mesopotamian gods. But this guy, why that's so important to remember is because to understand Abraham's call is God is calling him out of nothing into something. He's calling him out of the unknown into being known. He's calling Abraham or Abram out of what isn't into what is. That's what God loves to do. 
He loves to call us from wondering to purpose, from lack into love, and from weakness into his, capital H, strength, to faithlessness into faithfulness. That's the story of Abram. So let's get into this, and we're going to ask the big question, why would God choose this? And the story doesn't start in chapter 12. It actually starts in a genealogy in chapter 11, verse 27. This is the account of Terah's family line. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Keep your notes open to this, your Bible open to this section. It'll become important. And Haran became the father of Lot. While his father Terah was still alive, Haran died. So the youngest of the family dies before the father does. He died in Ur of the Chaldeans, in the land of his birth. Abram and Nahor both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Izcah. And then you get this final detail. Now Sarai was childless because she was not able to conceive. Now to fully understand this, we need to see the background. There's some things that maybe we forget because we don't practice an ancient world of patriarchy. We practice raising children much different than the ancient world did. In our world, somebody turns 18 and we're like, go off, leave the patriarch and the matriarch's house, right? And oh, that day's coming soon, right? <laughs> I'm just kidding, boys. You're not even paying attention anyway, right? right? You know, but we practice that. But the ancient world did not. What mattered in the ancient world was the family, was the dad. In a patriarchal society, the family existed to build up the patriarch's lineage and line and household and family. The name for that in ancient Hebrew is to build the Bedav, the Betav, B-E-T space A-V, Bedav. In this world, you didn't move out of your Bedav when you turned 18, you expanded the family in order to make the Bedov bigger. You would say, it's all about standing under my umbrella, Ella, Ella. <laughs> so I want to illustrate what you just read because I want you to see how this works. It's important what we just read in this genealogy to understand what kind of man Abram was. Because while Abram was supposed to be a man whose sole job was to support the umbrella and make it bigger, he doesn't do that. In fact, let me show you how this works. We need our guys to come up. We've got some guys coming up here, and I want you guys to stand. Barrett, you are Terah. You're going to stand right here. Three boys below him, okay? That's right. And you get the umbrella below him. All right. <laughs> okay? Anderson, you are the firstborn, so you are Abram, okay? Come up here, right here. I don't know if, yeah, stand right in front, uh, right there for me, Bridger. Bridger's the secondborn, Nahor, and Coleman, over here by Bridger, please. You are Haran, okay? 
Now, what we just read in the text is this is the patriarch. It's all about his umbrella. He is living in Ur of the Chaldeans, and then later he moves to a place called Haran, and it's all about supporting him. You three boys, what's your job? To make that umbrella expand. You have families, you marry, you have children, you get crops, you make it bigger so that Barrett and his household gets greater and his name is spread. Now, what we heard in the text was that Haran, the youngest, marries before the other two. And Haran has two daughters. So my daughters come up here, Peyton, Connor, okay, and y'all will stand right here in front of, you're probably taller than Coleman, but just stand kind of right in front of him, okay? Haran, the youngest, there we go, kind of hold that up, has two daughters, Milka and Izka. Now, what we have, know about this story is that before Terah dies, who dies? Haran, you can have a seat, sir. <laughs> now, Here's what's important in behind the scenes that we don't get in the text. All of a sudden, you have two ladies who no longer have a father. So what's the job? It's tragic what happened. But what's the job? In the ancient world, what you had to do was you had to make sure that these girls, Milka and Izka, did not get abandoned. So these men were their job. These sons, their job was to watch out for their brother's daughters. Now, this is strange to us, but what they would do was marry them. Now, we know this in the text. Nahor marries Milka. Step up here, Milka. And Abram, we're told in the text, marries somebody named Sarai. Who is Sarai? Right? Now, the reason they would take in their nieces to marry them was what's the idea of a kinsman redeemer. The patriarchal family isn't supposed to leave someone behind. So let's imagine this. Here's what sets up the story for us. Abram is the oldest. Who's going to inherit the umbrella? Abram, right? So let's imagine, Terah, you're dead. Okay, go sit down. All right? <laughs> All right, here's what's supposed to happen. Abram is supposed to be the next patriarch. So wouldn't it make sense as the next in line, who is he supposed to marry? Milka, but he doesn't. He marries a girl named Sarai, who we find out in the text, Sarai's got an issue that would have been a concern to this idea of the umbrella. She is what? Barren. She can't have children. So what is up with Abram? Now here's where the good stuff is. Izka, this is really good. Izka in Chaldean means princess. Sarai in Hebrew means princess. So who's Izka? Come on over here. Izka is Sarah. So notice what Abram does. Abram is chosen by God because Abram is a person who's willing to say, you know what, Nahor? You take the line. I'll give you what's best. 
You take the girl, who it must have been public knowledge, who isn't barren. You continue the family line. I want my brother to have the position of strength. I will take the position of loss. Have a seat, guys. We'll go from there. Give them a round of applause. Thank you. Now, if you're with me, if you're with me, this is what makes Abram different. What is, what is God looking for? God is looking for an anti-hero who will choose the position of weakness. You with me, church family? He purposely, he had the choice. He's the oldest. He could have said, I know my job. I want to have Milka. But what he does is he says, I'll choose Sarai. I'll take the one who cannot bear children. Abram's supposed to choose the best. He's supposed to make the umbrella bigger. His responsibility as the one in line is to do that. But instead, Abram says, I will trust the story. He chooses weakness. There's something about this guy that he's willing to take the hard road to go with God and to have faith. And Abram will do this again and again in the text. He will stand before the land with his nephew Lot. And there'll be good land and there'll be not so good land. And what will Abram do? He'll say, Lot, take the good. I will choose weakness. So for us, what a challenge. When was the last time you purposely chose the position of weakness? To say sorry first, to sacrifice, to love someone who you knew could not or would not love you back. What is something you perceive this is a deep question that we all need to think about. What is something that you perceive as a weakness that God might be ready to use as his strength? That's the kind of person God is looking for. Someone who says, I don't know if I can speak out. I don't know if I can lead. I don't know if I can go first. I don't know if I'm ready for this, but they're willing to do it. God is looking for those of us who choose not what's easiest or best, but choose what is weak because it is in weakness, as we heard in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, that God is strong. Isn't that great? That's why God chooses Abram, but there's more. Genesis 12, we get this blessing. The story opens up, and so you gotta imagine Abram, this this pagan man who has maybe no sense or maybe very little sense of who Yahweh is. And it says here that the Lord, Yahweh, said, said to Abram, go from your country, your people and your father's household. Leave the umbrella. To the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. And I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. If you didn't get the point of that blessing, it is blessing. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. 
Abram was 75 years old and he set out from Haran. He took his wife, Sarai, his nephew, Lot, their possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran and they set out for the land of Canaan and they arrived there. Now here in the Bible is where the whole story pivots. There's somebody willing to trust the story. There's a new family line. It comes from Noah, it comes from Shem, but Noah couldn't do it. Now there's a guy who comes along who can be the anti-hero, the hero the Bible is waiting for. But remember, security, assurity, those are things waiting for Abram in the Badav. That's where security is, at home with his father. But here, he leaves peace and success and wealth. He leaves the umbrella behind. He lays it down. He lets go of it. And he sets out towards an unknown land. And which way does he go? Again, geology, or ge geology, geography matters here. Geography matters. He's in the east. He's on the plain of Shinar, and he's got to go to Canaan. He's the first one to head back west. Everybody that's walked away from God, we're told in the text, goes east. Now he turns and goes west. And that leads us to the second thing God is looking for. God only is not looking for those that, that will choose weakness. He chooses Abraham because God's anti-hero is willing to let go. God's looking for men and women in this world who are willing to surrender. We know that. We know how much power is in surrender. Power of God fills us. God wants to bless and use people who will go the extra mile. Detail in the text is that his father had already moved out of Ur about halfway. Abram's willing to go the rest of the way. I think there's a challenge there. How many of us have great ideas and grand ideas that we want to start in our relationship with God, but we never finish? How many of us say, yes, I want that, Lord, and we start it, but we never pursue it? Right? Success isn't available in God without succession. There's got to be steps. There's got to be things that we do. We, and to do anything for the Lord, you've got to let go. And Abram's willing to leave what is comfortable and known and head towards what is uncomfortable and not known. Maybe we can think about it this way. We will never know what God can do until we as a people stop telling ourselves what can't be done. Right? How much of your life is spent in your relationship with the church and with God saying, I could never do that? Right? I could never pray like that. I could never fall in love with God like that. I could never be like fill in the blank. Maybe we can never see what God can do because we have just been telling ourselves what can't be done. I think it's interesting in Genesis 1 or Genesis 12, 1 through 5 that we just read that there's a comparison to the previous chapter comparison to the Tower of Babel, their sin was they were trying to make a name for themselves, and by letting go, by following God, God says, I'm going to make your name great, Abram. I'm going to make your name great. 
God says go, and I will do blessings in your life. Letting go, church family, has so much to, to do, and I, I don't wanna use uh, silly little Christian lines, but letting go really has a lot to do with letting God do the hardest work in our lives, making us humble, making us like Jesus, allowing us to be people who can let go of resentment and forgive, letting go of sins and attachments and hangups and hardships, letting go of our scars and our past. Those who let God build their name build a great name for God. And it happens in antiheroes who go, you know what? I'm letting go of my pride so I can repent. I'm letting go of my arrogance so I can confess. I'm letting go of my pride so I can tell my brothers and sisters where I'm at. But most of all, I'm letting go so I can allow God to move in me. That's an antihero. Now just a little bit more. Genesis 12, 6 through 9. We get to hear a little bit of what Abram does as he travels. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah and Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And from there, he went on towards the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There, he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of Yahweh. Then Abram set out and continued toward the Negev. Now that last text, you may be going, oh, thanks for the little, that's like listening to somebody's vacation plans. They're like, let me show you where we went. And you're like, oh my goodness, I don't care, right? <laughs> right? That's not what's going on in this text though. These details reveal one more thing about Abram that makes him somebody God wants to use. He sets out, but he's wandering around the land of Canaan. But do you notice what he does? Everywhere he goes, he builds an altar. He sacrifices, and it says he not only builds an altar, he calls on the name of Yahweh. This is the final piece, I believe. God not only is calling people who will choose weakness, God's not only looking for anti-Hebrews who will let go, God is also, church family, looking for worshipers who will worship whenever and wherever. You with me? Whenever and wherever. This guy builds an altar everywhere he goes. Now there's ancient things going on, there's two things. First, this is a way to claim the land. He's making an altar, he's building an altar to say this is God's. This is God's. I'm gonna build an altar here because this belongs to God. And second, Abram is making a statement about who he belongs to. He's making a statement about who the land belongs to and he's making a statement about who he belongs to. So Abram worships, he puts down altars everywhere he goes. There's not significance much to the locations or will be later in the text, but right now there's no significance to that. What is most significant already is that the altars are declaring this is and was and will always be God's. And I am and will always belong to God as well. There is a challenge in that. 
I hope you're already ahead of me and you're thinking about it because church family, may we build altars everywhere we go. May we build worship places, not physical like this that we sometimes assume is holy and it's not, but that we build whenever and wherever places of worship, wherever our feet will step. Worship we know is not a Sunday alone experience. It is a whenever, wherever. It's not reserved for spiritual highs, although as we said in class, may they come, Lord Jesus. May we have spiritual highs. We need them. But worship is whenever and wherever. Church family, worship is not a destination. It is our vocation. You with me? Let's hear an amen then. It is a vocation. What we do. So the challenge for us is where do you need to build an altar? Maybe your office needs to be a place of worship. Maybe your truck ride to and from needs to be a place of worship. Maybe your home needs to be, again, a place where an altar is built and you call on the name of the Lord. Maybe you need to rebuild your marriage and your marriage to your spouse needs to become a place where you both now call on the name of the Lord together. See, what God is looking for is people who are not afraid to build altars, whether it's in the hallways of the high school or on a football team or a new football team or a basketball team, that with people, wherever they are, that follow Jesus say, you know who's already here? God. You know who already owns this office? You already know who is Lord of this computer? You already know who's Lord of this fourth grade classroom or sixth grade classroom or eighth grade classroom as a teacher or a student or whoever's Lord of this oil field? Yahweh. So an altar is appropriate everywhere we put our feet. Build altars. Anti-heroes choose weakness. They choose to let go. And because they can do those two things, they can raise their hands and say, God, this is yours. I was reminded again this weekend as we wrap up that although we mistake God for sometimes living in certain places and being absent, and maybe for some of us it feels like God has been absent for a long time. Maybe for you this morning it feels like you haven't been near to this loving God for months and maybe years. And so sometimes as humans we go out looking for high places. But God is not a God of high places. He is the God of all places. And he's looking for people who are willing to say, I will choose weakness so I can see you in sacrifice. And he's looking for people who will say, you know what, I've been holding on to this resentment, but I let go so I can see you again in this relationship. And he's looking for people who will say, I know that I will probably be ridiculed and I know that the men that I work with or the women I work with don't act like this, but I'm gonna build an altar 
and people are going to see who God is. You want to be chosen by God? You want God to use you? Abram wasn't perfect. He's going to make his share of mistakes if you read the rest of the section of his part of Genesis. He's going to make a lot of them. But he continues to trust the story. So today, God's not looking for somebody who's perfect. God's looking for somebody who says, you know what? Let's take a step in progress. So whatever you need this morning, we're here for you. God is in this place. Love is in this place. Grace is in this place. And uh, we'd love to pray over you, introduce you to Jesus. If you're ready to let go of your former life and embrace new life in Christ, we do that through dying to ourselves in baptism. And we have got to full baptistry this morning. If you're ready for that, we will get you wet this morning. It'll be awesome. Let's stand together and let's sing.